there was an evil among them that could not be seen, but that none would dare deny. It whispered pain in strained limbs and promised weariness to overworked extremities. It came on the desert breeze and promised that all your labors were for naught. No matter how you worked and how you fought, the desert sands would drink you down into dry blackness and the foul birds would gnaw on your white bones. And this was during the day when spirits, in theory, should be at their highest. At night, it was somehow even worse. It came then as a howl, born on the frigid gale that twisted the black sands into coiling vipers and split across the skin like a blade carved from purest ice. It poured down eardrums and rattled the walls and windows to whatever sleeping mind it found purchase. It sought your memories and remade them mad. It found the faces you most longed to see and brought them to you. But as is the way in dream, you knew the falsehood and ached to tear away the false face. But as is the way in dreams, you could not, but only wail and scream while the face you had so longed to see laughed to see you suffer. As one example, there were many others. It became pervasive enough that soon almost none of the survivors slept through a night. Instead, they lay awake prisoners of their own minds, and during the day they blinked at one another and could not even fathom sorrow out of the all-consuming numbness. Cassandra was as prey to this as any. After one night spent trying to tear off the vandalized face of Priapatel, she sat a ways away from the people she was meant to lead. She had no answers for them, no solutions. She had learned that half of the problems between people could be solved just by letting them vent and making sure they felt heard. But today, every word spoken to her was a knife wrapped in sandpaper drawn across her brain like a violinist draws a bow. Terry, knowing this mood when he saw it from a distance, took his time walking towards her, letting Cassandra see him, register him, resent him, make her peace that this was happening. Then he was there. I've been talking to the children, he said, referring to the packs of monsters and animals that now moved in concert with the survivors. The former children of the city made the black sun, taken and transformed by the gods. A month ago, they had all apparently woken up to their old selves, clawing human memories into inhuman skulls. But they still did not have human mouths, so conversation was difficult. Okay, Cassandra said. What are they saying? They're all feeling the effects of whatever this is, Terry said. But a few think they actually know what it is this is and how to stop it. Okay? Cassandra said. She took the sickle blade beside her in hand, 
inwardly rejoicing at the promise that there was something concrete to resent, to hunt, to kill. They're saying it's something that isn't alive, but isn't totally dead either, Terry said, dashing those hopes. Okay, Cassandra said. So what is it? They say, Terry said, that we are dealing with a wraith. Wraiths are not uncommon, even in our world of the golden sun. Once, in the days when the world was wild, and the forests covered all, they wandered in countless numbers between the black trees and the curling white mists. There were, in those days, fairy folk that would lead you off the safe paths. You stepped off and soon found yourself on an adventure it never took you quite to the place you intended to go. And if you ever did get to where you meant, you never got there how you intended. To be lured off the path by a wraith was another thing entirely. To be lured off a path by a wraith was to be condemned to wander forever, until without even realizing it, the wraith song came from between your lips, a song in language of mist and loneliness. You would never even realize what had become of you, not even as you beckoned a traveler to stray off the path and follow you into forever. The old forests faded. Their inhabitants learned to walk on two legs and vanished into us, where they returned to their bones to the still earth or the flowing river and let sleep take them. But the old forests and the old ways survived in a way in the shared dreams of men and women alike. In dream, it was no special trick to slip between the cracks in the world and walk for a time in the haunted forests of old. There lived there a pair of sisters, witches as you might know them, who had followed the dreaming minds into the land of the black sun. They answered the calls of the other gods and took a number of children into their realm when the city's civil war threatened all life. They gave the children the shape of birds and beasts and let them wander in the strange forest at the center of myth. Wraiths still roam there. You got so you knew the feel, even were you a bird. What's more, there was a way to speak to the wraiths, providing you knew how to listen in the language of mist and loneliness. And this here was the special information that the children wished Terry to convey to Cassandra. This wraith, the one troubling the survivors in their trek deeper into oblivion, in the midst of its torments, it spoke its own name. This wraith, the one doing everything in its power 
to coerce the last day of the human race into laying down with someone they all knew already. In life, this race name had been Betsy Overby. She'd been of flesh once, no longer. Now she was made of air and hate. When she had been of flesh, she had been ruled by fear. Fear that led her to put a bullet through the head of Terry's beloved friend, Mike. Fear that led her to escalating the civil war against Cassandra and the outliers to the ruin of the city. And it was with fear in her heart that she bashed in the skull of the man McRae, fear all tangled in the skin of what she understood to be love. Betsy had been afraid to be alone, almost as much as she feared the crowds who might reject her, or, even more terrifying, might let her in. Shortly after entering the desert, Betsy left the life of flesh and fear. She came to the court of the death god who ruled the land of the black sun, but found he offered no salvation. Instead, his offering was of oblivion, utter. There is only that when you come to worship death. There is only the eating or being eaten. Betsy chose to eat. She ate of the death god's flesh working the bitter taste around her tongue and then down her throat. After three days more, she was dead, but death no longer held sway over her. She left her fear beside the corpse that the black sands drank down while foul burrs gnawed on her white bones. She now was only air and hate, a thousand unhappy memories bound together by a rage that refused to fade. She was among them, even now, as they discussed her. She was there as parents winced to remember their children dragged off to fight her war. She was there as the children remembered the meaty thud of a bat against the body, vibrations traveling up their arms that now began to echo. She was there in a sick pang of satisfaction and pleasure the echo inspired. She was there beside the surviving members of the outliers, blowing yesterday's still-burning flames back into their faces, conjuring the smells of melting asphalt and burning hair back to their nostrils. She flicked phantom drops of hot blood across Terry's face. He flinched, the years of struggle and healing gone, returning him back to the scared young boy doused in the blood of his only friend. She reminded Mustafa of every fear he had for Terry, and every fear he harbored of Terry, which he hated himself for holding. She stood before Cassandra, unseen but nonetheless known, and spoke in her silent voice all the taunts that only the dead can know, 
She spoke a dead name and invoked a vanished person. She spoke the names of all those lost, every etched crack in the broken heart heavy in Cassandra's chest. She, made of air and of hate, luxuriated in the misery her name inspired. Unseen, but unforgettable. She listened as Cassandra said, Listen, I think I know how to handle this. Stay here, and broke off from the larger group. She followed, laughing in silent hilarity and setting goose flesh up every arm even though the day was warm. She followed, letting Cassandra set the pace but all the while applying those pressures of memory and twisted recollection, imagination amplifying, old wounds thought healed. She would break Cassandra down into itty bitty pieces and then steal the breath out of her throat and carry her screaming soul to the death god's elegant table where he might mash her into nothingness between his bright teeth. She and then Cassandra turned and faced her. All right, Betsy, what do you want? Betsy Overby held breath she did not have. It couldn't be so. At last she realized that it wasn't actually so. Cassandra wasn't looking at her. Her eyes were searching the air for a sign that the words had been heard. Collecting herself, Betsy thought how fun it would be to never confirm these suspicions. Let Cassie hear, yell to the skies forever. It made no difference. Let her waste away until Betsy swooped in all made of air and made of hate and took the breath from her chest. On the other, purely metaphorical hand, it would be delicious if Cassandra saw her, knew her, and could do nothing absolutely delicious. Betsy appeared. Her hollow body hung naked above the sands. Her eyes shone with a black light that moved like melted tar. Hello, sweetie, she said to Cassandra. What can I do for you? Cassandra could not help taking a step back from the wraith that had been Betsy Overby. She had never liked the woman. Even by the standards of mortal enemies, there had not been much love between the two women, not even the tense respect common among heated rivalries. But it still made Cassandra gape to see her like this, dead, and nothing left to her but air and hate. Like what you see? The wraith crooned. I can make you just like me if you like. Wouldn't Daddy be so proud to see us together? Like sisters, finally. Wouldn't Daddy just love that? Cassandra swallowed. She didn't want to ask. 
she absolutely would not ask. She had to ask. Have you seen him? She asked. Is he with you? Oh, honey. The rate that Ben Betsy clicked her tongue. He's not anywhere. Death ate him up piece by piece and inch by inch. Isn't that kicking the ass? All those things he did, all those things he was, and now he's nothing. He's a name you won't say and a scar you won't admit you feel. Isn't that just awful? She laughed then, her voice the grains of black sand rustling over and through the white bones. Cassandra closed her hands into fists. What do you want, Betsy? She snarled. The laughter stopped at once. The black light of Betsy's eyes rippled like water disturbed in clouded midnight. Veins of silver and red poured down and up the otherwise blank black expanse, patterns born and dead from one instant to the next. I remember wanting, the wraith said. I remember not wanting. I remember wanting and not wanting being tangled all together. Life was so complicated. Death makes it all so simple. By the pulsings of her eyes and the sound of her voice, she made it clear that simple was a punishment. Stranded in simplicity for all the rest of time, it would not be long before insanity took hold. Insanity would be the blade she wielded as she walked eternity alone, wetted by that hate, that hate that was of her, that was her. I'm going to destroy you, the wraith said to the woman. Not because I want to. I'm past wanting. I'm going to destroy you because I was made to do it. Maybe even before I died. Maybe before I ever lived, Cassandra scoffed. You were not fated to do all the shit that you did, Betsy. Do you know that? The Wraith asked. It's a game, Cassandra, the Wraith said. We get no say. We make ourselves miserable over it. But not me. I accept being a slave. And it set me free. She grinned, every tooth in her mouth a tombstone. Let me save you, she said. Let me rip you apart. It's what comes next. It's what we're made for, sweetie. It's the end. Sandpaper fingers enclosed round Cassandra's throat. Cassandra's eyes had fallen to the black sand. But now they rose to meet the wraiths. They were wide and clear and furious. You're still a dumb bitch, Cassandra snarled. She swung one of her fists, expecting it to pass through the specter of Betsy over by, 
as if she were morning mist. Cassandra's fist did pass through, but Cassandra felt contact with something dry and thin as paper. A savage cry emerged from Cassandra's throat, and the next instant she leapt onto the wraith in a screaming frenzy. She gripped and grabbed with hands that now resembled claws, and where she touched, she tore. Betsy Overbuyer was made of hate and air. She was made only of hate and air, and yet fear, that old taste, washed into and across her being and had always been there, always been there. She came apart as paper in Cassandra's fists, hollow bodies splaying open like a flower in bloom, and those things that were inside her Cassandra took in hand and took apart. Scraps scattered like snowfall in the desert. Betsy tried to summon up a fresh taunt that would stop this frenzy, but then her voice was in Cassandra's hands, and Cassandra was tearing it apart as she had all the rest of her, her voice drifting in a hundred fragments, each carrying a last whispered, Wait, as they disappeared into the dunes. Wait, her lips still tried to speak in that silent voice that had been so chilling so recently, but now even silence was a language she could not speak. Cassandra tore her lips from her face. She took her eyes from her skull and crushed them. She scattered the tombstone teeth. And when Betsy Overby was nothing but an unconvincing mask, Cassandra tore her into two pieces and cast the pieces away from her. Thus was the civil war of the city beneath the black sun conclusively ended. Cassandra stayed a while away, letting the fire in her lungs burn through all the dry grass, let the blackest smoke move unencumbered out her mouth. Murmurs of wait echoed around her, but a rising wind scattered each faint utterance. When at last she was ready to go, she turned back towards her camp. Two figures moved towards her. She waited. She was not especially shocked by who the two men were, though by all rights the combo should have been impossible on multiple fronts. Mr. Oakes and Mr. Mayhew moved easy across the black dunes, as if every slithering grain of sand moved to accommodate them. Maybe each one did, Cassandra thought. Oakes was very near God, and Mayhew... She supposed he must be some kind of ghost retrieved by his old partner, but there is something about him now. Cassandra considered being deferential to these enormously powerful entities, but then it had been a long few days. The fuck have you been? she demanded. Mr. Oakes laughed. Busy, my dear, busy. Much has needed doing and much still needs to be done. I understand you've been busy yourself. Well, I just killed Betsy Overby. It's the second time she's died, I guess. 
but this time I think it'll stick. Not sure how I killed the Wraith, but you weren't afraid. That's how, Mayhew cut in. Wraiths are made of hate and air, but fear is what binds them together instead of flesh. You take away fear, and the hate chokes out like a flame without oxygen, leaving air. What does that make you, Mayhew? Cassandra demanded. Or, what are you made of now? You're dead a few times over. Mayhew flinched back, but Mr. Oaks still grinned. I was worried we might lose you, Cassandra. That this, that all of this would break you. Maybe it has, Cassandra murmured. Maybe it has. Maybe, Mr. Oaks said, but the twinkle in his eye betrayed his full opinion. But broken or not, you're ready, I think. Ready for what? The two men gave each other a look, then turned back to Cassandra. The Wraith was wrong, Mayhew said. This hasn't been a game. A game where we are all pawns moved by forces beyond our ken. Okay, said Cassandra. So, if it's not a game, then what is it? A story, Mayhew said. A story that is coming to an end. And how, Cassandra began, does this story end? With you, Cassandra, Mr. Oaks replied. You're going to kill death. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Blacks and Dispatches, part of the Set of Punks podcast network. My name is Brendan, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Uh, for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, at Black Sun Show, I just want to make the announcement that this will be the final season of Blacks and Dispatches. Uh, it'll run through most of the rest of this year, and it might last into 2022, uh, depending on how long it takes to tell this last story. Uh, but I just want everyone to be aware that this is the end of the show, uh, so for those of you who have listened to us so far, thank you, uh, and I hope that you will enjoy this last stretch. Thank you also to everyone at Cinepunks who has supported this show and made it you know, even possible to exist. Uh, it's been quite an experience. So I hope you guys have enjoyed the show up to this point. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you will uh, really get a kick out of this final season as we enter the end game of Black Sun Dispatches. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show, as I just said. You can follow me on Twitter at the True Brendan F. So uh, we'll be back a little later this month with our next with our next episode, uh, and you know, we'll just keep going uh, until the very very end, the very uh, bitter end, if that's how it turns out to be. So I hope you guys uh, stay tuned and enjoy uh, this last run of Black Sun Dispatches. Thanks everybody. Bye.